of Revelation, Revelation chapter 3, and we're reading verses 14 to 22. This evening is our, our last study in the letters to the seven churches. And kids, I want to ask you if you remember the different locations, the different churches that received a letter from Christ. Hands up. It's seven options. So yes, Ephesus, the first one. Excellent. Good start. Okay, Reuben. Philadelphia, yeah, that was last week's. Okay. Yes, Kira. Thyatira, yep, yeah, well done. Okay. Yes. Sardis, yeah, well done. Okay. Yes, Olivia. Getting a bit of help there. Say again. Laodicea. Well done, that's tonight. Okay. All right, two more. Yes, Grace at the back. Pergamon, yeah. All right, one more, yeah. Well done. Good reading. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so remember these letters to the seven churches. And uh, tonight we're going to look at the last one which is Laodicea. So this is Revelation chapter 3 and verses 14 to 22. So listen to God's word. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things say that men, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are, you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, and therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. May God bless us the reading of his word. Well, this week is Halloween, and of course, you will all be here at the Reformation night here at church. But for any of you who are planning to stay at home, what is your plan for the evening as you encounter carloads of trick-or-treaters? Well, some of you are maybe going to be very generous and hand out lots of candy. Others of you, your plan is simply to turn off the lights, lock the door, and hide in your house, kind of hoping the kids will think that there is no one in. But it's not only the 31st of October that we pretend that there is no one in. We spiritually can pretend that there is no one in, that there is someone outside your door. 
and he is knocking, wanting in. And in our letter this evening, we see that someone is Jesus Christ. Too often, we keep the door locked. We keep him outside as if we don't need him. And we do that because we are complacent. We've become half-hearted. Our commitment is half-hearted to Christ. We're okay with going to church on a Sunday, but we keep the rest of the week for ourselves. But that's not okay with Christ. He wants all of you. And so I want you to notice that you're not to become complacent, but you are to be fully dependent on Christ. He wants in in your life, for he loves you, and he seeks you to be zealous for him. And so children, I encourage you to draw a picture of the front door of your house and someone knocking on it. And remember, Christ is knocking on the door of your life, and he wants in. So firstly, let's consider, remember Christ knows what's going on, and he's writing to you. So as we've considered before, when you get mail, you check where it's from. That's how you decide how important that piece of mail is. Well, here's a letter from Christ, and we get a description of who Jesus is for you to consider his importance in your life. In our Sunday school class, we're considering an evangelism book by Sam Chan, and each chapter is titled a tip, tip number one, tip number two, and that's what they are. They're simply tips. You can take it or leave it. But this letter that Christ writes to the church of Laodicea, it's not filled with helpful tips about how to turn this church around. This is not just one man's opinion that you can agree or you can disagree with. No, Jesus is the amen, the faithful and true witness. Amen can be translated as truly. It's emphasizing the certainty of what is being said. And so this letter is not full of empty words. No, Jesus is saying, this is what will happen. It's not an empty threat. He is the faithful and true witness, meaning Jesus knows this church at Laodicea. It's not the case that Jesus has simply misunderstood what's going on, that he's got his facts wrong. He's not a witness in court giving false testimony or mistaken testimony. No, Jesus is a credible witness. He is reliable. He is to be taken seriously. He is the beginning of the creation of God. Now, the cults like to go to town with this one, and they say Jesus, therefore, is a created being and is not on the same level as God the Father. But from other verses, we know that is not the case. Instead, Christ being the beginning speaks of him being the one who began God's creation. He is the creator. He is the source. And he's also the one who began God's new creation. In him, there is new life. Now, just consider If you buy a new appliance or a new computer or something, and it doesn't work, well, you contact the manufacturers to find out the solution to your problem. Well, the same is true for us. We can contact our manufacturers. We can find out instructions that will help us. Jesus Christ, the creator, he knows the answer to your problem. You won't receive pat answers. Instead, his answer is faithful, always faithful, is always true. And so as Jesus spoke to the church in Laodicea 2,000 years ago, he's also speaking this evening to this church. 
and he proves his authority, therefore, in these opening verses. That's why you are to listen to him. Remember, Christ knows what's going on when he's writing to you. Well, secondly, recognize that your complacency makes Christ sick. Recognize that your complacency makes Christ sick. So Christ looks at the Laodicean church who studies their works, and he is left visibly sick. Their works, all their actions, it repulses him. He doesn't hold back. There's nothing good to say about the church in Laodicea. Even Sardis, which is similar to Laodicea, still had a remnant of those who were walking with Christ. But there was nothing good to speak of of anyone in the church in Laodicea. When they come together to worship the Lord in the Lord's day, their praises, their prayers, their reading, preaching, and listening to the word of God, it all sickens him. In their conversations with each other, and how they look out for one another, and they're reaching out to the local community, to their families, to their friends. Christ felt physically sick. He describes them in verse 16 as lukewarm. Just consider everything that you drink. It's served in two ways. It's either chilled cold or it's piping hot. But when it's lukewarm, it's not drinkable. It makes you feel nauseous. And this is how Christ felt. And he used this metaphor because it was especially relevant to the city of Laodicea. Although Laodicea is a prosperous city, it had no water source of its own. Laodicea therefore had to pipe its water into the city from a nearby town. And this water was once hot. It was from hot springs. By the time it reached Laodicea, it was now lukewarm. And this lukewarm water was also full of calcium carbonate. It was undrinkable. And so this illustration of lukewarm water was well understood by the Laodiceans. And so they knew exactly what Christ thought of them. It's not different from the water supply in Bloomington at the moment. Also tastes nasty. But for Laodicea, it was a cause of sickness. It needed to be purified to be useful. They knew what Jesus meant by saying, I wish your works were either hot or cold. Some towns had these hot springs that were useful for healing and therapeutic purposes. Other towns had cold springs able to refresh and give life. The Laodiceans had neither. Their works were like their water, lukewarm. And it wasn't that Christ was accusing them of not worshipping him or not praying or not doing good in the community. Rather, it was lacking passion and enthusiasm. They had grown complacent and lethargic. Stuart Elliott describes the church as obeying the greatest commandment, but missing the word all. In their love, that they love God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength, but not with all of their heart, all of their soul, all of their mind, and all of their strength. And could this be a description of the church here? Complacency is always a danger for the church. And frankly, I don't believe the church here is complacent. This was a church that recognized it was weak a number of years ago and that it would cease to exist if it changed nothing. And the response was to step out in faith, to call a second pastor, to ensure that the preaching of God's word remained a priority in this congregation. 
and God has blessed his congregation for this. But we need to be careful that we don't, these blessings don't lead us to a lull where we stop and where we simply congratulate ourselves, where we lose sight of the gospel and we focus on secondary issues and not what people really need to hear. Christ is not interested in that, but it's worse than that. He is repulsed by it. It makes him sick. Well, thirdly, watch out for the self-sufficiency of this world, for you are in need. What was causing this problem of complacency in the church at Laodicea? Why were they lacking enthusiasm? Well, this church reflected the city that it was located in. The city of Laodicea was extremely wealthy. So wealthy, in fact, that when it was struck by a powerful earthquake which destroyed the city, the residents would not accept help from the Roman Empire. They would rebuild it themselves. And they did that. And they built a more beautiful, more spectacular city than it was before. And their source of wealth was due to the many industries and enterprises in the city. Laodicea was known for its banking and commerce. It was situated on an important trade route. It developed an important textile industry due to its luxurious black wool that was in great demand. And it outstripped other garment manufacturers in other cities. And finally, Laodicea was a center of medicine, a famous center of medicine. It even developed this ointment that could cure eye diseases. And so this city was at the cutting edge of medical research. Laodicea felt that it had a lot to boast about as it had achieved all this success. Well, unfortunately, the church in Laodicea had not been able to remain distinct from the pride and the self-sufficiency that was found in the city. And we can see that in verse 17. They also were boasting, like their fellow citizens, of their wealth and the fact that they had need this affected them spiritually. They no longer depended on Christ. They depended on themselves. And so they grew complacent. They grew comfortable. They didn't need anything. And this is simply not true. As Christians, they need every day God's sustaining grace. They are dependent on God for everything. And you and I, we are susceptible to this same thinking. We live in an affluent city that prides itself in its learning with its university, in its healthcare and the pharmaceutical industry, that is cutting edge in medicine and treatments. I'm not sure if we have a fashion industry like Laodicea, but that same spirit of self-sufficiency is real. And so have you been influenced by this city? Have you grown complacent in your relationship with God? How do you know? What priority is Christ to you in your commitment to him? Are you continually making excuses? Are there other things in this world that you find more appealing? In your prayer life, are you praying to God for your daily bread? Are you dependent on him each day for his grace? Are you a Sunday Christian where you're committed to him one day a week? the other days you're more interested what the world has to offer. Too often our Christian faith is no more than a hobby. 
something that we enjoy from time to time, but we could take it or leave it when something else comes up. And that became very apparent during COVID and people couldn't get to church. They found a new hobby. And sadly, many never went back. They were lukewarm. Christ doesn't want lukewarm. He doesn't want half-hearted Christians. You know, it's all or nothing. Do not grow complacent like this world. And we see these Laodicean believers. Nothing to be complacent about. Jesus speaks the truth into their lives. He tells them what they are really like. He tells them that they are wretched, that they are miserable, that they are poor, that they are blind, that they are naked. What a rebuke this must have been to the church in Laodicea. They thought they had made it. So what a shock to hear these words from Christ. He uses language that is familiar to Laodicea. He describes them as poor. While the Laodiceans would say that they are rich, they are the banking and commerce capital. He describes them as blind. While the Laodiceans would say that they are at the top of optical research. They even discovered a cure for blindness. He describes them as naked, while the Laodiceans would claim that they produce the best clothes in the world. They're not naked. They are the Gucci or the Armani of the ancient world. So what a rebuke they have received to be told that they are the opposite of what they thought they were. So are you like Laodicea, boasting in your greatness and in your self-sufficiency? Do you recognize how wretched, how needy you are? So watch out for the self-sufficiency of this world, for you are in need. Well, fourthly, Christ wants in on your life, for he loves you gives you grace. While Christ had hard things to say to this church at Laodicea, notice in verse 19 that his rebuke stems from love. My children, uh, you get your report cards from your teachers this time of year, and it's because, and I wonder why is it that your teachers do that? Is it because they don't like you? Is that why they send you these report cards or send them to your parents? No, it's because they want you to see you do better. They want you to improve. And they are speaking out of concern. They're speaking the truth. Well, likewise, Christ is doing the same. He's giving the church a report card. He's letting them know how they are really getting on. And he's doing this out of love. Christ has a solution to the problems in Laodicea in verse 18. And he is the solution. They are to come to him. And he will provide for them. He can solve their spiritual bankruptcy. They are to buy from Christ gold. The gold that is refined in the fire. Gold that is pure. For it has been refined by the testing and suffering that Christ went through in his life on earth. He solves their spiritual nakedness as they buy these white garments from him. Their nakedness is a description of their shame. While the white garment a description of Christ's righteousness. And so they can replace their nakedness, their shame, with the righteousness of Christ. He solves their spiritual blindness as they buy a salve to put on their eyes. He is the one who opens blind eyes. It is in him we have sight. And so Christ tells them to buy, in keeping with the language of Laodicea, with all its trading and buying and selling. However, 
what he is asking them to buy is impossible. Remember, he's just called them poor. This gold, these white garments, this salve, it has to be accepted by faith. Brooks writes, the verb buy does not imply human ability. It is that buying of which the prophet Isaiah speaks of when he calls his people to buy without money and without cost. They are all gifts from God. And these Laodicean Christians had forgotten these gifts from God. They had forgotten what he had done for them. They had got so preoccupied instead with their own riches, with their own possessions, with their own success. They had forgotten that before God, they had nothing, that they were dependent on him, that they need him so that they can be rich, that they can be clothed, and they can be free. And is that like you today? Have you gotten caught up with the world and the world's demands of you to be rich and successful, but you've forgotten what state you are in before God? Remember, you're only rich in what God has given you. You only look good in the clothes that God gives you. You only see because Christ has cured your blindness. And so it's God who has given you these good gifts of salvation. You are dependent on him. Do not say you have need of nothing. Only through Christ you have these good gifts. And you therefore must buy these gifts by receiving them in faith. If you've lost sight of God and these good gifts, Christ commands you to repent. Just like he commands the Laodicean Christians to repent. Quit boasting in yourself what you have done. As a church, quit boasting how great you are. You cannot become self-satisfied. Your success, your gifts, your health, your wealth, they are all from God. You are dependent on him. So Christ is calling us to repent. And he's calling us to get back with him. Now, verse 20 has been described as the most misquoted verse in all of scripture. This verse isn't for the unbeliever. It's not saying that Christ is waiting for the unbeliever to let Christ into his heart. No, this is a promise for Christians. The letter was written to the church in Laodicea. And so this verse, it speaks of the close fellowship we can have with Christ. This is described in the eating together. Now today, eating can seem so insignificant. We eat quickly. We have fast food. We have microwave dinners. But in the Middle East, dinner time, it was an important time of the day. It was a time for socializing. It was a time where hours could be spent over the dinner table. It was a time of fellowship, of encouragement time for teaching and understanding. And this is what Christ wants from us. He wants to have close fellowship with us. He wants to come into your life to bless you and to encourage you. We read in verse 20, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. It's mutual. It's a time of sweet fellowship. I'm sure you have met people who are very independent. They don't want any help especially older people, and you think, if they would only accept help, this would be easier for everyone. Well, likewise, we should readily accept this help from Christ. We are to open the door. We are to let Christ in in many ways. Going to church on the Lord's Day is a way to let Christ in and have fellowship with him. Going to the prayer meeting, going to the Bible study, 
you are answering the door to Christ when you do your quiet time. So you should be hearing Christ's knock, hearing his voice. And so open your Bibles and let Christ in. When you're talking to your Christian friends, Christ is outside the circle talking. Let him in. You should be freely talking about Christ and your relationship with him. Whatever you are doing, Christ should be allowed in. Too often we keep Christ out because of our arrogance. Brooks writes, he now appeals to them that they might be shaken out of their lukewarmness and their self-confidence and restored to new heights and depths of fellowship and communion with him. The best remedy for backsliding is for the believer to be more fully and freshly taken up with him. The Laodicean church is called to repent. That lukewarmness should instead be characterized or should be changed to red hotness. It should be on fire for Christ. And that should also be true for us. We should be passionate and zeal for God's glory. That should be evident in our lives. It should be evident in the life of this church. Christ is knocking on the hearts of his people here, wanting deeper fellowship with you. And so are you willing to open the door to Christ? Do you want that deep fellowship with him? Do you want Christ in every part of your life? If you do, your lukewarmness will change. You will be zealous for Christ and for his glory here on earth. Well, fifthly and finally, in Christ you are promised a privilege of ruling with him. So not only is there the promise of fellowship with Christ, um, but we also see there is the promise that you will reign with him. Just think about that. You struggle with materialism that you have in this world, with self-sufficiency that comes as a result. Christ is promising us something much greater. You will rule the world with him. Why would you desire this world that's tainted with sin when you can have the world fully renewed and restored? The other day we were eating hot dogs, cooking them over an open fire. One fell in the fire. Now we could still eat it with its ash and dirt, or we could simply wait for another hot dog to be cooked. Well, what would you prefer? That might seem a poor comparison, but in many ways we demonstrate that we would easily take this world with its sin and its dirt rather than wait for Christ and rule with him. Satan offers to us this world with all it has to offer. And it did the same with Christ. He offered him the kingdoms of this world. And all Christ had to do was worship Satan and he would give them to him. Jesus saw this as a lie. Satan's not able to offer the kingdoms of the world to him. Only God can do that. That's why Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And in Christ overcoming this temptation, he succeeded his mission and he sat down with the Father on the throne. He is ruling. God has given to him his people. Well, you too are being offered the world. Satan continues to tempt us in this way. We need to see it as a lie. This world does not belong to him, so he cannot offer it. The other week, the church received an email saying, I'm giving away my late husband's Yamaha Grand DC1 to a passionate instrument lover. Do you know a fellow teacher or a student family? I'm 
churches that might be interested, please forward this email to them. God bless you. Now, thankfully, Tyler looked into it and found out it was a scam. There was no piano. It was a lie. Satan also seeks to scam people with his offer of redemption. In reality, all he can give us is the sinfulness of this world. But Christ promises those who overcome this temptation the opportunity to rule with him. He is ruling now, so in him you will also rule with well. Christ closes this letter like he closes each of his letters. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Holy Spirit says to the churches. Are you hearing the message of his death? In 1806, the poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning was born into a difficult family, and Elizabeth's father was very domineering. And for some unknown reason, he forbid his 12 children ever marrying. And at the age of 15, Elizabeth was very ill, and it would lead to her being disabled for the rest of her life, confined to her room. But it's here that she developed this love for poetry. And she became a very popular writer and soon attracted a fellow poet, Robert Browning. And despite her father's strict rules, Elizabeth ran off with Robert and married him in secret and then moved to England. Once the news was discovered, her father disowned her. Well, for the next 10 years, Elizabeth tried to mend the relationship with her father. And she used her writing skills to craft these poetic letters to him. But she never received a response. Finally, one year before her father's death, she received a box in the mail. It was from her father. But her excitement soon turned to anguish. Every single letter she wrote to him was in this box, unopened. Today, these letters are published. They are considered some of the most beautiful writings in English literature. It's tragic. Such incredible writings were never to be seen by the one they were intended for. And if her father could just have opened one letter, perhaps his heart would have been softened a little. But he didn't, and he was the worst of sinners. The same is true for this letter and all of Christ's letters to the churches. Don't read it. Don't take it on board. You miss out on this beautiful invitation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who wants you in his life. And rather than depend on your riches or your successes, which will only make you lukewarm and cause Christ to be sick, you're to find your riches in Christ. So let's not become complacent. Instead, you are to be fully dependent on Christ. He wants in on your life. He loves you and seeks you to be zealous for him. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this letter that is applicable today as it was 2,000 years ago. Father, we are sorry when we have grown complacent. Lord, help us to see our complacency. Lord, that you would protect us from this world of self-sufficiency. Help us instead see that we are dependent on you and that we would cry out to you and buy from you these many gifts that you've given to us, that we would let you in and that we would enjoy fellowship with you and so strengthened and blessed as a result. And Lord, that we would respond in zeal and commitment to you. So we ask this in Christ's name.
please turn your psalm book to Psalm 119e. Psalm 119e. Notice stanza one. That I may keep your statutes, Lord. Instruct me in their way. Yes, make me wise to keep your law. Wholehearted, I'll obey. The psalmist here is earnest in his Christian faith. He wants to keep God's law with all of his heart. And the Laodiceans were commanded to repent. Just like in stanza three, turn my eyes from worthless things. Give life to me in your own ways. No longer were they to be consumed by the riches of this world. They were not to worship themselves. Instead, their confidence was to be found not in themselves, but in Christ. And so they are to seek fellowship with God. And they are to be earnest in doing so. Seek it with all their heart. So let's stand and sing Psalm 119. 